This week on Invasion of the Podcast, we're looking forward to a new M. Night Shyamalan film. What a twist! We start the year off right by talking about the documentary Electric Boogaloo, the wild untold story of canon films. And then we ask, what's in the box? What's in the box? We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of the realm of tension. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion the Podcast, where we try to take over the world one listener at a time. I am Paul, and to my left is Steve. Hello, everyone. And we are joined by guests you know, to make this show uh, bigger and better. So uh, I New will, year, new us. Yeah, new year, new, new us, and new people. Or, or people that, well, they've been on the show before. But all right, so I'll go first with, uh, with El Goro. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me on, and I will endeavor this time not to swear. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, if you got to, you got to, but I, I appreciate that. Uh, I'll do my best. Yeah, so uh, he of Talk Without Rhythm podcast, which I was just on, on recently and, and uh, stumbled through my recommendations for the, the oh, last year. Oh, come on. You did fine. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, there was some uh, some difficulty of me trying to convince people that Message from Space is, you know, a worthy movie, but, uh, you know, <laughs> it was fun, fun to be had there. Uh, and hey, also, if nothing else, you truly imparted how much you loved the movie, and that's all that's important. <laughs> hey, you know, it just it just warms my my glowing Liabe seed nuts, you know. So, uh, and also, you are a member of the Five Hossmen, which is a wrestling podcast. I have to say that I did listen to the most recent episode, your guys' preview for Wrestle Kingdom, and it was uh, it was entertaining. I, like, I may not have understood everything, but I enjoyed the back and forth between the five of you. Yeah, that one is hard to recommend to um, people that aren't deep into wrestling. And even people that are casual, sometimes we just go down some weird rabbit holes. Uh, eventually, we're just going to record the entire podcast in wrestling carny speak. <laughs> so that that's where we're at with that. Perfect. All right. And uh, the other other guest we have is Kevin. You, you might know him from, from another thing that you hear my voice on often. He's my co-host of Strange Highways. Thanks for coming on, Kevin. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Uh, pumped to talk about some canon films tonight. It's going to be amazing. I thought you were going to railroad this to start talking about Mission Impossible again and be like, listen, you know. We need- I should say, by the way, that I, I think that I'm getting this label. It's not that I disliked the films. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that I didn't prepare adequately and had to jam them all in in a weekend. So it was just a lot of Mission Impossible in like two days. I just took that as you uh, you hated them. So I've been spreading that on every podcast I go on now that you hate Mission Impossible. You're like, Absolutely um, scandalous. Yeah. You're like, listen, you guys don't you, you may not know who Steve is, but he hated Mission Impossible. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, message from space. I just want to say uh, you'll hear how quiet I go during your talk about that film. Yeah, <laughs> not talk with that rhythm. Yeah, that well, that breaks my heart. Like I just yeah. I, the, the spaceships were cool you know that's all i'll say like has jeff watched it because you you loaned it to him right i did loan it to jeff i've not he hasn't texted me since so either he watched it and never wants to talk to me again (laughs) or he's never gotten to it so it's like i'm gonna guess it's a coin flip at this point i don't know well Um, if nothing else we're in the nascent stages of a running joke because just yesterday i watched in honor of Elvis's birthday, King Creole. So Kevin, of course, commented, featuring uh, Vic Morrow from Message from Space. Yes. 
I, and I saw that and I had to love that comment, you know? So, you know, I mean, I didn't realize that last year was the year of Vic Morrow for me. I thought it was the, the year of the knockoff, but there was a number of different things I saw him in. So, um, but yeah, uh, anyway, uh, we're, we're here on invasion. That's no more Vic Morrow talk for now, probably more later. Um, which I mean, was he ever in a canon film? He had to be in canon films, to right? At some point, yeah. No, yeah. he actually. I'm sorry, he was dead before a lot of that stuff was made. So no, yeah, maybe yeah. not. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for bringing that up. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm the one that forgot. So I'm like, why? Did, what did he? Whatever happened to him? You know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're going to be talking about some canon stuff. We're going to be talking about the the documentary Electric Boogaloo, and then uh, kicking off what this year will be, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Not that that's not obvious to everybody, but yeah, let's just first let's just get to some news. everyone so news um little little slow this time yeah. of year it seems yeah. like there's nothing other than like there's some awards talk whatever uh steve you had brought up there's an anniversary that you wanted to, to mention specifically yeah i just i thought it was interesting when i saw the story um today uh we're recording this on the 9th but on the 10th when this is released it'll actually be the 10th anniversary or i'm sorry 20th anniversary of batman beyond uh the animated series um if you're like me uh you probably love the original batman the animated series and this basically continues the story beyond uh well obviously no pun intended <laughs> um <laughs> but it uh it it covers uh later years of bruce wayne when someone else has taken over the mantle of batman uh i'm a big fan of the series i couldn't believe it had been 20 years um and it was just kind of like one of those things where time just sort of slips away and you're like wow that was 20 years ago um and i just i think that if you're somebody who uh is a fan of either just animated shows or batman and you've never dove into batman the animated series i'd highly recommend it because it's it's a great show um it's brought to you by the same people who did the animated series which if i can just throw in a quick plug for the uh batman animated series blu-ray box set it is gorgeous i i already owned them all on dvd and i was wasn't sure if i wanted to double dip and spend the money on the blu-ray but it was worth every penny those episodes are gorgeous so um getting back to batman beyond though i just wanted to make a quick mention of it because uh i think it's incredible that it's been 20 years already that that's been around so so do you think there's going to be like a uh, a beyond batman beyond now like like going 20 years past that probably (laughs) it'll be terry mcginnis being an old man and you know someone else taking over the batman this is going to be uh, bruce wayne in a coma in a quarter that's going to be it (laughs) Um, so, so Goro, I know you. I, I know you enjoy Batman the animated series. Have you watched Batman Beyond? I am not as familiar with that series as I am the original. Oh yeah, I mean, it was funny because when it initially came out, I remember my friends being quite hyped for it, and I was a little bit measured. I thought it seemed to be a kind of a silly premise, putting it into the future, having a brand new teenage Batman. It just wasn't sort of resonating with me. But over the years, and when I got a chance to dive into more and more episodes, I ended up really enjoying the show. It's not only stayed true to what had been established before in the Batman animated series, but it also managed to carve out a very distinct identity for itself. And considering how influenced it was by cyberpunk aesthetics, which I'm a huge, huge fan of, it ended up being one of my favorite shows from that period and one that I returned to on and off throughout the years just to kind of spend spend a little bit of time in this world with those characters. And as a fun piece of synchronicity beyond the uh, 
20 year anniversary of the of the of the show coming out it's actually i was just looking it up it looks like the opening sequence of batman beyond where we see an aged batman finally deciding he's getting a little too old for this sort of thing that was set in the year 2019 oh, oh i did mind not know blown. that <laughs> wow so we've we've officially gotten to the point in our own timeline where batman is officially too old for this <laughs> perfect that is that is uh that is nice that well not nice that he's too old to do it but that's yeah interesting hey, kevin did you watch batman beyond at all or um i, I have not <laughs> in typical superhero fashion i am uh, i'm lacking in that department but i did watch the batman animated series quite a bit growing up um for some reason uh much like ian was saying it just Batman Beyond never really connected with me when I saw the premise of it. So I know I saw episodes here and there when it was on TV uh, originally, but I, I never caught back up with it. Yeah, and it's something I should get to, but throw that on the pile of all the other things I should get to. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I'm so bad about it. like, oh, this sounds like a good thing. I could also play video games, so I don't know. I'm torn. My, like, I, if I could just stay awake 24 hours a day, I still wouldn't get to everything, but I feel like I'd get more more nothing done, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I am hoping that uh, I mentioned the uh, Batman animated series Blu-ray box set. I'm kind of hoping that Superman and Batman Beyond get that same treatment because those deserve to be... I mean, they look great on DVD anyway, but I would like to see those also get the same treatment as the Batman Beyond, or as the animated series box set, so... No, oh, and especially the uh, Justice League series, uh, and in particular Justice League Unlimited, which I just thought was the best. Oh yeah, Justice League Unlimited is a hell of a lot of fun, um, and there's that one episode that actually ties up the Batman Beyond universe quite nicely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I will take your word for it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I just like like all things Batman. I'm like I kind of know. It's like oh, it's in the future. I have no idea. What's well, going I still on have here. to get you to watch the. <laughs> yeah. Mask of the Phantasm. Uh, that, that's true. I, I that is I, that is a, a grave sin on my part that I've not seen Mask of the Phantasm yet. So, I now Steve, did know. they include Mask of the Phantasm in the Batman animated series box set? They did. They included that and Sub Zero. So, okay. both of those are in there as well. Excellent. All right. So, um, so we're gonna we're gonna move beyond. Batman. That was a bad joke. Uh, so uh, the the new M Night Shyamalan film uh, Glass is coming out soon, which is going to save January because I feel like there's just not much else coming out in January. Uh, the reason I mentioned this is because uh, there was a recent article um, that Vulture did with M Night Shyamalan talking about this film and his career, and he he mentioned that um, he had, had planned. I'd, actually, I should say this right now. Has everybody here seen Split? Yes. No. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a superhero movie. Of course, Kevin has. Um, I mean, Kevin, do you do you know that this is like part of the Unbreakable universe? I mean, if not, I've just ruined that for you. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, I saw Unbreakable when it came out on DVD, and uh, I don't remember anything from it. Okay, so, uh, I'm just gonna I, I'm just gonna download some cricket noises on my phone <laughs> when you cut to my take. No, no. Uh, th- there's a point to the story other than pointing out things that you haven't seen because I'm I'm guilty of a lot of this as well. Uh, so at at the end of Split, it, it shows that this is part of a bigger story involving Unbreakable, and then this new movie Glass has, you know, Samuel Jackson, um, Bruce Willis, and um, James McAvoy's characters all involved now. And Shyamalan had said from the beginning when Unbreakable came out that it was part of a trilogy, and that he was actually going to bring in uh, James McAvoy's character into that movie, but decided that it was too full, and that that concept was so big that once you go that big, it's hard to reel it back in. So. 
some restraint on his part. That's good, right? So that that's interesting. He's had this idea in his head forever, and then he made this film of Split, and people got all about it, and then it turned out it was a quality film that was a secret sequel that no one saw coming, which is great. The reason I bring up the story is because they talk about his history with filmmaking and they mentioned that now that he is working with Bloomhouse, they pretty much give him free reign if he can keep it within budget of what he wants to do. And I think that's an interesting thing for him that he, like Steve talked, we were talking about this before the show that he's having success now being limited in terms of the money being spent. And I think that's an interesting thing because he, he rocketed to the top like so fast. And then, you know, here's this guy who was like, you know, dubbed the next Rod Serling and then he kind of it kind of fell apart pretty quickly, so I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on Shyamalan saying. You know, what? I'm better working with limitations and in my lane, and I feel like the work's actually being better because of it. I think honestly, he'd be better if he had people around him that would just say, "Yeah, no, M Night, that's a terrible idea." <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that I think he got smacked down enough by everybody, like box office wise, that he he's he questions himself a little bit, right? But I mean, I. I, yeah, it was it was really hard for me to give Split a chance because I have not seen the visit. I heard that's actually pretty good, but after seeing you know the happening and then um, I ended up watching After Earth. It was a bet I lost, so I had to watch it. Uh, I don't remember much about it because I drank my way through it. Thankfully, um, <laughs> oh, it was it was rough. Jaden Smith. I mean, Will Smith is an established actor and can do, but he's stuck in like a ship for most of the movie, just yelling at his son. And it's like, it's not a good movie, you know? And I don't, I don't think that's Shyamalan's fault. I just think that was just a bad project. Yeah, yeah. I broke up with Shyamalan after The Village. And I was just like, you know what? I'm, I'm done with this guy. <laughs> and I remember when The Happening came out, somehow I missed that was one of his films. And I, I, I remember I snuck into the uh, screening of The Happening because I was decently interested to see what was going on with it. So, um, and as soon as his name came up, I was just like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, the movie did not improve from that moment on, <laughs> though it did give us some fun, fun pits with Mark Wahlberg. So after that, I was like, I reaffirmed I'm not going to go with M. Night again. I'm done with this guy. Don't, I'll never touch one of his movies. And then he had to go and make a live-action adaptation of uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, a show that I'm <laughs> tremendously fond of. So I was like, okay, I'll go see this. Fine. We'll give him one more shot. And it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, when Split rolled around, you know, it, it had a lot of good things going for it. James McAvoy was on there. He had been describing it at this time as a spiritual sequel to Unbreakable, which I absolutely adore. So I was like, all right, fine. One more try, Shyamalan. And it turned out to actually be a good film. So I'm stoked for Glass. Yeah, I'm just hoping that uh, now that he's got, you know, Unbreakable going again with Split and Glass, that we finally get that. Lady in the Water universe he's been talking about. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Never saw that one, and from what I'm here, I'm not missing anything. <laughs> see, the, 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 I did see that in the theater. I got like not, I didn't pay money for it. Someone got me like advanced tickets or something. Okay, you got to put a disclaimer they, behind it. No. Um, and there's a character in the in the movie that right, that supposedly that like you find out that uh, he is going to be responsible for like saving the world because he's going to write this book in the future called The Cookbook that's like the solution to everything. And he made himself that character in the movie. And I'm like, that is just, it just, it drove me batty where I'm like, you make yourself like the coming Messiah character in your own movie. And, and then there's also a point where there's a guy who's a movie critic that gets horribly killed by a monster. It's like, we get what you're saying here that you're, you're mad at critics <laughs> and that you believe your writing's going to save the world. But I think that's, that's him like, you know, 10, 10 plus years ago. I think he kind of got the, you know, knocked down enough 
you know, but I just think that this Bloomhouse thing, like he, I feel this is a good tie into what we're gonna talk about later that having like more of a restricted budget, uh, but you have the artistic freedom, but you have to bring something in under budget. That's probably, or, or within budget, I should say, that's probably a guaranteed turnaround of somewhat right to make, to make it profitable. I just, I think that's interesting. He's found, he's, he has found his uh, foundation in, in being given less. I, I, I yeah. think that's yeah. it, it's kind of uh, what El Goro was saying of having somebody keep him in check and be like, Are you sure that's a good idea? Having that budgetary restraint is kind of that person making him second guess, like, ah, do I really need to do that and kind of scale things back and really focus on the story? Because that's initially what he was being praised for was his storytelling, you know? Um, but yeah, I, the happening, that was my. Uh, I saw the village. I didn't hate it when I saw it in the theaters. Um, I, I went back and rewatched it years later and enjoyed it. Uh, <laughs> not as much. Um, but the happening, I have to recommend the riff tracks for that. Cause it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> what? No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this, I'm sure this is something I'll come back to often. Um, a few years ago, Cleveland cinemas had their 12 hours of terrible, and the, the first film was over the top, and the last film was Master's Universe. But the film before Master's Universe was The Happening. So it was like oh, four in the morning. Was cruel, so you got a nice people. nap. No, it was what, like, the, the crowd was relatively quiet for most of it because it's like, you know, be respectful, like, have some fun, but don't be, don't be ridiculous. But by the time that movie came out, like, we were just already kind of angry. So it was like people started talking at the movie, and it made it for a fun time because no one enjoyed that, like, hour and a half. You know, like, and then, then I was all certainly going into mass universe. So I was not in the right mindset for that movie, which that's another, that's another story for another day. Um, but yeah, I just, I mean, I'm excited for glass. I'm hoping that I don't, I hope this isn't the Lucy in the football situation where I'm like, finally, and I have faith again, you know, cause I just, you know, I want him, I, I think the world's a better place when he's telling good, strong stories that he, you know, I, we need these type of people. I feel like um, Jordan Peele has picked up that that gauntlet and, and he's going to run with it. You know, like we need these interesting voices telling interesting stories that are. I don't know. I don't know if necessarily supernatural, but that was kind of what we kind of put on him to begin with, and he kind of he probably reluctantly took it after a while, right? But how yeah. great is that trailer for us, though? Well, Have you he, watched that trailer. Yeah, yet? that trailer's great. Oh I yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. So I yeah I just thought that was worth mentioning. So anyway, enough about Shyamalan. I'm sure when Glass comes out, we'll everybody will have their hot take reactions to it. Is that then, this weekend? No, it's Is the end of January. Okay. I think some, sometime. So all right, last story real quick. Uh, just <laughs> I found this. There was something that happened um, in where was this? Uh, somewhere in the south. Just a couple of days ago, there was a a truck driving a bunch of chicken tenders that it spilled <laughs> across the roadway. Going. And so what had happened was this caused a um, like a rubbernecking situation because people were picking up the chicken tenders and running off with them. So um, <laughs> the Cherokee County Emergency Management Agency in Alabama had to tweet out, or so they put on the Facebook and like Facebook posting here, public service announcement, all in caps. The Cherokee uh, County Sheriff's Office is asking that no one try to stop to get the chicken tenders that were spilled from the 18-wheeler accident last night on Highway 35. You're creating a traffic hazard. It's a crime to impede the flow of traffic. Those cases have been on the ground for over 24 hours and are unsafe to consume. Anyone who is caught could be facing charges. So just the idea of someone just being like, oh, what's that? Oh, there's just boxes of raw chicken on the road. <laughs> Shit, yeah, I'm going to go grab that and take that home and cook it up. That's, that's, that's nuggets that's of totally. gold right there. Yeah. 
that's totally worth having a record for having to explain (laughs) why you were arrested it's like well i just really wanted those chicken tenders like like what if like you know like you're just so hard up that you're out of a job you go to apply to like kfc it's like hey or have you been convicted of any crimes like well there was one and it's like oh but I just the idea that the, the, they had to say, don't do it, it's illegal. Also, you're going to get sick. Like, <laughs> oh. about that. So what would be the dream scenario there, though? Like, what's the thing that, like, you would, like, you know... Like, food-wise, that was yeah. spilled all over the roadway? Yeah, like, you're like, hmm, I, I, I'm going to go grab me a box of those chicken strips or no, whatever. It just, I mean, I think I'd go more with the Woody Harrelson route in Zombieland and just the, hope the it was for, for a hostess truck or something. I feel like something that's pre-wrapped, <laughs> that's not really a, a good food to begin with. Right. That's yeah, probably, I was going to say Doritos or something. Yeah. Just cool ranch Doritos <laughs> raining on my commute on the way to work. I love that. I think I'll take the Homer Simpson route and wait for a uh, shipment of sugar to uh, get right. knock over. Yeah, I forgot First about you that. get the, sh- the sugar, then you get the power. Oh, how's that go? Oh, I screwed it up. Never mind. Yeah. I think it's then you get the women. That's right. <laughs> so, Steve, what food stuff would you want on the roadway that you would eat? Uh, <laughs> what would you eat off the road? Um, I, I'm probably going to go with some sort of candy. Like, you know, if there's just like boxes of, uh, you know, Snickers or something out there. Although if it's like a, a hot day and then you've ever tried to eat like a <laughs> melted Snickers in the summer, oh. it's, it's oh. awful. That would be that would be the ultimate like you know that'd be like the, like the ultimate overweight person trap. I'm just like oh no, that highway is just covered in Snickers and there's six people stuck to the roadway, and they're not getting up on purpose. Like you know, although be- having been overweight my entire life, I don't know that I need that like thing being thrown on me as well. What was he arrest- arrested for? Uh- well, he's fat and getting stickers off the roadway. Yeah, I just feel like there should have been like a, a, a truck full of barbecue sauce behind the tenders that also overturned or something like something for dipping. Like if you're going to already have them all over the roadway, at least have something there available. It's like a, a gas truck filled with ranch dressing. <laughs> just, yeah, just tips over. That would be great. All right. Um, and then a smaller truck full of blue cheese would just tip over nearby too. But uh, oh, all right. yeah, anyway, so enough about that. Like I said, slow news. There's nothing of, of worth. I'm like, oh, people, people are just, uh, they're monsters grabbing raw chicken off the road and carrying it away. That um, And people wonder, like, that. that's how the zombie apocalypse is going to happen. Not from like a government lab. This is going to be a bunch of idiots <laughs> eating raw food off a roadway and wonder what's going on. So... All right, that's it. We're we're done with news. Let's just let's get on some more high-minded subjects like Canon films. And now for our feature presentation. So last year, and we've talked about this at nauseum, and our last episode was involving Mac and Me. Which, if you guys have not listened to that episode, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Quite the endorsement you just gave for it. That's a, that's a that's not a great movie, but it is crazy. Uh, we wrapped up the year of the knockoff and, and fine style, um, and then so this year, like, what what could we do this year that would be different? So we decided that uh, Steve and I have been talking about this for a while. We we're going to cover Canon Films. Canon is a unique company in the movie landscape. And so I'd asked these guys uh, as well to come on the show, kick off our year of Canon by talking about the documentary electric boogaloo. Um, the, what was it? The wild untold story of Canon films. So first question before we get into the documentary, cause that's, I don't know how you talk about a documentary from beginning to end. Cause that'd be a little weird. Um, I guess the, the first question is what, what would not first memory, but like the, presence of canon like like in terms of like growing up like what did you guys was it something that you were aware of in terms of like versus other movies or just like in with everything else like uh i guess you know i don't know like as i know for me i'll, I'll just start i guess because i'm stumbling through this 
growing up in this time, I didn't view Canon as any different than any other film company. So I went to go rent movies. All the boxes were what, like, you know, I'll go, I'll watch that. I'll watch that. I didn't think that they were any less of a product than like, you know, a Paramount or, or, you know, Warner brothers. I just, they were all the same. So I didn't realize that they were, it was its own beast until much later. So Steve, what was your uh, inclination with Canon? So for me, like, yes, while I didn't, necessarily have like a specific it wasn't like a, a marvel dc thing with canon and other you know um, orion yeah <laughs> but like uh my memory of it is is that like when you saw canon and i realized that this is contradictory to a, a lot of what happens in the the documentary or, or what the documentary is about but like it was kind of like oh there's probably something in there for me to watch in this movie like if i i can remember specifically when i was a kid um after we would go to church, my mom would usually take me to the local Kroger store and she would go grocery shopping and I would go hang out in like the video aisle because they sold, you know, rented videos there as well. And like when I think about it, the titles that I remember looking at the most were always Canon film titles. Okay. Um, I think I uh, brought up in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 episode that we did over a year ago that I hadn't seen it until a couple years ago, but that box was always prominently on that that display case i always remember looking at it um delta force invasion usa anything bronson norris um was always out and like that says kind of something i mean i guess it is a grocery store it's not like you were going there for high art you know you were just going there to get oreos or whatever <laughs> needed, and then rented a movie I needed some raw chicken tenders right. and some bronson <laughs> yeah, but, speak for yourself <laughs> <laughs> I need chicken in a can and some bronson <laughs> but what's interesting about that is is that i don't remember like seeing like there being like a curated selection like it was mostly like canon films and like the popular films yeah. like it wasn't so in in that sense i always like if i saw canon i figured there was probably something in there that i would enjoy particularly being you know a, a teenage boy you know it would be action or it would be horror or whatever mm -hmm. it was probably something that was going to appeal to me all right, and 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 you guys, I know you're a little little younger than than, than Steve and I <clears throat> by a little bit. Uh, what what was your guys' interactions with Canon? I mean, I came up in a time where there was really no brand awareness for Canon. They ju they just happened to put out movies that I was interested in. I mean, one of the earliest ones that I absolutely fell in love with was Masters of the Universe. I think I discovered that when I was all four years old, and I just watched it over and over again. And then later, I'd get into movies like Cyborg, because I was a big Jean-Claude Van Damme fan, and so was my uh, stepfather. And then stuff, even stuff like Hercules and all of those uh, other ones that get thrown into there. And it wasn't until later that I became aware of canon as a sort of distinct entity that fans were sort of uh, buzzing around. You know, as I got deeper into the genre film community, there was a lot of love for canon. And then when I went back and looked over their filmography, it's like, man, that's these are a lot of movies I grew up watching. And so there was a great deal of appreciation for canon. But at the time when I was discovering the movies, there was really no sense of them. There wasn't any awareness of the label or awareness of uh, what a canon movie was there were just a bunch of good movies that i found out later were canon films yeah uh, much like you guys i had no idea that i was watching canon films when i was a child um i uh, obviously if you guys know me you know i love chuck norris and uh, i had no idea you know he was uh, those were as much as action movies as like the indiana jones movies to me like i had no concept of budget or anything when you'd see those as a child um and then later on, when I started getting into collecting, 
I had more of an awareness of what canon was and that usually this meant I was going to get something ridiculous. So I would actually, if I was in the thrift store and I'm flipping through uh, VHS or something, I would look for that little logo on the side of the box or something. And it was just something I keep my eye out and I would dig deeper and deeper in. And it was just something that, um, although they branched out into horror, was always synonymous with uh, action for me. Yeah. And that's kind of like, I kind of where I'm at with that. I just, uh, I feel like now because it's, it's after watching the documentary and again if, if you guys have not had a chance to see the documentary i highly recommend it it's only a couple bucks to rent online to watch um even if you have just a general passing interest in like the film industry it's still an entertaining watch because it almost feels like it almost feels like a mockumentary but it's all you know like true in the sense i mean i mean how much can you really speak to some of that i mean i believe that uh that a uh, uh, um a, a monkey was interviewed for a potential job you know like i believe that happened <laughs> yeah. um <clears throat> Or orangutan. I'm not sure. I, I, I know it's a primate of some sort. I'm going to get it wrong. Well, it's, it's Clyde from. Uh, <laughs> that is, yeah, it is orangutan. Yeah. Yeah. The Any Which Way films. Yeah. I mean, you know, he was famous enough, right? I mean, he worked with Eastwood. So. Um, so did the Fall Guy. <laughs> yeah. So um, the thing that surprised me when watching this was there, you get the sense that, uh, that the canon, with its rise to power for what it was an influence, it could have only existed in the eighties. Cause I feel like there was this whole notion of like, you know, the more you just go and do it, go make it happen. You know, like money is not an object cause we're going to sell this and we're going to sell the next three things and we're just going to keep going. So I feel like Canon is like a perfect reflection of the decade. And the fact that you have two gentlemen that their goal and dream was to come to America and make movies. This feels like the most, like it's almost the most American story you could think of. And I just, that to me is surprising, not surprising. And like, you know, I couldn't believe it happened, but it's more reaffirming that these guys, like they came out swinging and having success in Israel and then saying, we're just gonna come over here and buy this company for $500,000 and then just keep going. And people tell us that we're not making good product. It's like, well, screw you. We're making more product. Like I, I enjoyed that part of it. It just felt very much a reflection of the times. Oh, yeah. definitely. And you can see you can see the nascent trends of the 70s kind of setting the stage for this. Not only did you have the arrival of the super blockbusters like uh, Jaws and Star Wars showing the money men that there is a great deal of profit to be made in essentially B-movie productions, but you also saw the, the descent of kind of the new Hollywood auteur-driven filmmaking with such huge colossal flops like uh, Heaven's Gate. So what you found was a market where the studio knew uh, the studios and all the money men knew that there was money to be made in crowd pleasing films and less uh, money to be made in important productions done by great filmmakers. And so into that, you get canon. And then with the rise of the home video market, which provided great sell through opportunities, it was just this huge market where there was a lot of people willing to invest in the kind of movies that canon was willing to make. Yeah, and I feel like this is the perfect uh, transition from you guys doing the year of the knockoffs um, going into this because this feels like the direct offshoot of what um, Italy was doing in the 70s and 80s. And they pretty much took that and brought that idea over to the States. And um, it, it like you said, this could only happen in the 80s. I think it can only happen from some foreigners coming over and essentially knocking off American films. And uh, you get something that's close resembling uh, the big films that are made here, but something that's just off kilter enough to make them special and different. 
Well, I feel like in the, the, the you know the chasing of something and the knocking off stuff, which we've talked about a lot. I, I do see it here a little bit, but there's almost this. You get the sense that there was this idea of like, well, doesn't matter. Is this is this what's going on right now? We'll make a movie about it. Not necessarily a knockoff of a film, but like they were chasing you yeah. know crazy yeah, more, and more and, yeah. the genre or the idea or uh, just the atmosphere of something else that was going on in the industry at that time. What's interesting to me too is is that uh, before we started, I had mentioned to Paul that you know uh, looking at t- contemporary films or companies versus you know Canon in the eighties, the closest analogy I could come up with is Bloomhouse. Not that Bloomhouse is making like terrible movies, or I don't even mean to put Canon down in that way, but I mean uh, that's okay. Canon made some terrible movies. <laughs> they did. Oh, they made terrible <laughs> movies. <laughs> yeah. But you know when I think about like what Canon tried to do with Superman four. Um, it's almost what Blumhouse did with Halloween, where it was mm. like they wanted to take a property that was already out there, make a bigger, I shouldn't even say a bigger budget version of it, but at least one on par with what that that series had been, but still do it on the cheap. And well, they economic, yeah, yeah. Like, well, you're... Be- because they cut the budget so low that they couldn't overcome that. And I mean, admittedly, the story for Superman Four is not great, but <laughs> had they had like the, the the you know the special effects behind it that the original film did, it probably would have turned out a lot better. Um, I guess I was trying to make a point there that there's that's my the best comparison that I can make for today. But Blumhouse, well, I think these, I think that's best case scenario, and I yeah. think worst case scenario is the Asylum, where that's they, what uh, I was going to bring yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the the Asylum feels like a bit of a connection, but you could still see sort of that through line with Blumhouse. It's just it feels that there is a more stable hand behind Blumhouse than what we had with Canon. At no point can you really. Um, deny the enthusiasm of Menachem Golan and uh, perhaps the business acumen of Yoram Globus, but the ability for them to actually know what is going to make something profitable, it wasn't always the best for them. (laughs) Well, and I I also found out, I was doing a little bit of reading, you know, on the internet, because that's where I find everything, I guess. Uh, 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 Menachem actually worked a little bit under Corman for like a second. In a couple oh, yeah. productions early, early on in his career, and and Corman like the, his his influence, which I cannot speak to because I'm not that well versed. I know that people that originally started the Asylum also worked under him too, and you see two different outcomes there. And I, there's lessons learned. I mean, not them saying that Canon Films again. There's there's some really bad ones, but then there's also still that attempt. Like there's a couple times they swung at like making sure like that um was it the uh, Othello uh, production that it was like you know that was was nominated for an Oscar. Like they they wanted to make movies. They didn't and then surely turned and burned a lot of it, but they also still wanted to make movies that they wanted to go see and they wanted to go see good movies in the theater. Their their radar may have been off, but I think their intentions were always good. While I question some of the stuff now where it's like if we release this now we're guaranteed X number return. And it does not matter what the quality of the product is. Yeah, well, yep. that, I mean, that's what the asylum is for yeah, sure. That's, yeah, uh, there is there is no quality in those films. Um, they usually get some some sort of name recognition with somebody, and then just schlock together whatever they can just to mark it off of whatever the successful property is at the time. Mm-hmm. Though they've curiously enough found another niche for themselves because you have an entire market of people that recognize how terrible their films are and embrace them for that. I mean, see the success of Sharknado. 
Yeah. 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 I, I actually enjoyed uh, Android Cop with Michael Jai White. Uh, <laughs> I caught it on TV last year and I got sucked in. And uh, I was really ashamed with myself for how much I enjoyed it. <laughs> hey, I, I, I'm a, I will actually go, uh, slightly go to back, bat for their movie Mongolian Death Worms. So, you know, <laughs> taste is relative. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's fair. Um, so, I. Uh, in terms of like the like after watching the documentary, I again cannot recommend it enough. There there was things that they they hit on that I feel are so quintessential eighties, but I wonder if because the fad was there that they struck it or because they magnified it that now made it more like you think back on it. Like the whole with breaking and breaking two, where they kinda they were on the forefront of breakdancing and these movies made a lot of money. Well the first one made more than the second one. But yeah. like they, they But mean, to be fair, uh, Breaking Two spawned a m- m- cultural meme that has not uh, diminished to this day. Yeah, I mean the name of this documentary is called Electric Boogaloo, right? So like anytime there that there, anytime there's an ill thought out sequel to something, Electric Boogaloo is always the title that goes with it, right? So um, Either that or two something to something, yeah. which is slowly <laughs> reach uh, climbing up a, on uh, breaking or electric boogaloo. But uh, breaking to electric boogaloo still has the champ for that. Yeah. So do you, do you think it's because they were in front and they got a movie out in front of audiences, or do you think the fat itself? Not that I could speak to the greater impact of breakdancing, but I feel like it was right place, right time, and I feel like both fed off each other. You know, and it's straight, like, yeah. straight luck. That's all. <laughs> I think it was just luck. I think they they mentioned it in the documentary about how uh, I think they were in L.A. or something. They happened to catch a breakdancer on a corner and uh, they were like, man, people seem really like this. Let's make a movie. No idea what the rest of the country would think about that. You know, that could have just been a fluke, but uh, they just happened to stumble upon it at the right place, right time. And uh, they were fast to market with it. So it just it uh i think it's a combination of a lot of things but i i i think most of their successes were pure luck like what yeah i mean we we can see that in their attempt to replicate their success with uh breaking when they made the lombada movies yeah <laughs> well they were trying to jump ahead of predicting something and uh i mean there was nothing out there to show that that would have uh that would have taken off it's not nope. like it's not like they were in like East LA or something, just happened to catch people doing Lombada on the corner. <laughs> I tell you, the, the, the kids they love the Lombada. They, they should have made the Macarena movie. That's what they should have went after. You know? If they were around in the '90s, they probably would have. Yeah. yeah. So the, explain to me like how they kind of zeroed in on ninjas, and that became a thing. Like, uh, well, yeah, I, I can speak to this because of my <laughs> recommendation uh, that I'll be giving you guys later, but. I mean, with the Enter the Dragon, which came out a few years previously to their first ninja movie, Enter the Ninja. I mean, the country was obsessed with martial arts and uh, quote unquote kung fu, if you will. Uh, So everyone's like obsessed with that. In 1980, there was a a novel uh, just called The Ninja. I forget who the author was, but it was like bestseller for a long time. And um, it, it spurred this whole obsession with the country with ninjas so they were really the first ones to introduce that in a cinematic form and then uh, i'm trying to think of uh i mean there are other companies that were doing stuff like godfrey ho was doing ninja movies but uh they were really ones that introduced everyone so they just tacked on to the success of martial arts uh and this novel that had come off and threw this thing out there. They were the first ones to market again. 
So I, I think they were lucky that no one else did it because <laughs> uh, Enter the Ninja um, is is not the best film. But like I said, just being the first one out there and introducing people, people had never seen that before. Well, I think that, you know, some of it is just they threw whatever they could against the wall to see what stuck. Like, yeah. I think yeah. I mean, was... if you're going to throw 50 movies out a year. Something's got to stick, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, that, that worked for them for a while, right? And then it then it didn't work so much later. Yeah. Um, uh, so, I mean, like in terms of I, that's another thing too in the documentary. There's also like you know the watching it again and, and thinking about context. And I mentioned earlier how I didn't understand that they weren't like everything else in terms of like you know like there's there's all sorts of different labels that put out movies, right? But um, you you see how fast they grew. And how how much they were always promising, like they always, like they always sold dreams, you know. Like when they would go do the the film festivals, they're like they just bring out the poster art and be like, "Do you like this? Invest in it, and get the distribution rights." And then they turn around and be like, "We got to make this." Like they were the masters of selling, like you know, your hopes and wants because they didn't have a finished product. So anything you imagined it could be, that's what it was until it showed up to you, you know. And I can't think of another company that would just like brazenly sell you a poster and then be like, "Oh, now we have to actually make this movie." There were some I believe Roger Corman uh, did that from time to time, which is maybe some which is where uh, Menachem picked it up. Hmm. Yeah, there were some really oddball like posters too that they'd come up with. I can't remember what they were now. Actually, my it, it, it ate Cleveland. My favorite was yeah, it ate Cleveland. <laughs> I wrote that down in my notes just because I didn't want to forget it. And I'm still disappointed they never made that Golem movie with Charles Bronson. <laughs> That's the one. Oh, yeah. That's the one I was thinking of. <laughs> well, they you know they could do the with uh, what's his name now. The guy that looks like him, um, Charles Charles Bronski. They could make it now. Yeah. I, I saw Death Kiss at Walmart the other day, and I almost picked it up. <laughs> I haven't heard I, anything about it I've, yet. I've been in Walmart like three times since it came out, and I've had it in my hand each time, and I keep putting it back down. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days. So, um, yeah, I guess we'll speak about Bronson a little bit because there was the thing with uh, him and Chuck Norris being signed to like these exclusive contracts. Like, I mean, I'm not saying Chuck Norris' star was fading at that point, but he was definitely a little older, and Bronson was, you know, he probably had no business doing like, like clearly. You know, saw with his stunt work of him th- not throwing groceries at a car and running away, uh, and then like there was, they were banking on like known commodities, maybe not the A-listers, but like they they found a way to market themselves with with um, what people like like Steve said, he, if he saw a Canon film cover, he knew there'd be something there for him. So like, was it? I mean, did it ultimately cause their downfall if they were locking in these these older action stars into these exclusive contracts or? I don't know. I feel like that that changed a little bit with the way those movies were presented. I mean, I, th- I think some of the things that you can attribute to uh, Canon's downfall wasn't necessarily the movies they were making, but somewhat of the collapse of their financial structure. Because one of the th- one of the uh, things that kind of brought them down was the fact that they were working with this bank in the Netherlands, I believe it was, who ended up getting wrapped up in a organized crime case. <laughs> and they oh, lost a lot yeah. of their in-between funding because they would raise a certain amount of money on the pre-sales and then uh, make a movie off of that. But to float them in between, they would have this bank in the Netherlands, Slavenberg, who would help them out. And yeah, Slavenberg was involved in a lot of uh, shady stuff, 
And so that kind of hurt. Then you add on to it that around that time when that was occurring, Canon got it into themselves that they were going to start funding these big productions and start going after A-list talent. That's where you got your uh, over-the-tops, and then that didn't work for them. And I think the biggest thing that hurt them was the falling out between Golan and Globus. Because I honestly believe that if those guys had managed to kind of stay together... Canon would have continued much longer than it did just by pure tenacity between the two of them. But without those two elements together, it couldn't sustain. Yeah, if they would have stayed together, I could have seen them kind of um, resetting themselves and going back to their original business model, which they had strayed away. And uh, I I think it was them straying away from that, uh, the cheaper uh, funded films and going and battling these big budget Hollywood films uh, that was really their downfall outside of the, the criminal activities. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Rod- Roger Cor- Corman was able to thrive throughout the eighties and nineties yeah. by simply focusing upon the home video market, you know, and th- th- with a single guiding vision and a never losing sight of what his goal was, which was to simply turn a profit he managed to keep going and managed to be quite successful. If they had been able to focus upon their goal, which was simply to make movies, they could have continued to do so. And unfortunately, you know, uh, the fate sort of conspired against them. Yeah. Yeah. I do. Uh, I do wonder, cause they don't touch upon it in the documentary. I do wonder how the revenue stream from VHS kept them afloat. If it did, I have to imagine it would have helped in some respects. Um, and this is just going back to the Chuck Norris, Chuck, uh, Charles Bronson discussion. Although the fact that they said that no matter what the script was that came <laughs> the in, two piles, yeah. yeah, you had to pick one of the Chucks to put it in. And I just, I would love to have seen like what some of those movies were like that were pitched to both of those guys. <laughs> um, so you were talking about the video market. They, they talked a little bit about how they would buy up all like the, these different studios, like rights, international rights to these uh, these other films. And like, there's there's a lot of Italian stuff in there that I saw, like I, I've joked with Kevin before, there's a, a Bud Spencer Italian Aladdin film called Aladdin that is not good that they <laughs> they released. And uh, it definitely has a car, like a cutout of a car floating through the air that he's supposed to have these magical powers because he's a genie. It's, you know, whatever. I mean, like I watched it as a kid. I thought it was great. I didn't realize it was pure shit. But, you know, that's... Uh, so yeah, I think that there was there were some legs there, and I feel like the '90s would have been that market for direct-to-video because that's when you start seeing even more of that, you know. So yeah, I just think maybe they flew too close to the sun with uh, Superman buying buying those rights, and also here talking about ramifications we're still feeling now uh, when they got the rights to Spider-Man, which we'll probably talk about that at some other point. Because of their failure to make that movie, that's what slipped in and uh, to get Sony to get the rights out. Uh, cause they were, they were selling the rights cause they didn't make a movie and them and, um, was it, uh, Carol Co pictures? Like that was that's, the whole thing that collapsed and that's why Sony has Spider-Man now. That's Cameron's yeah. company company. Wasn't it at the time Carol Co or he was part of it? I thought, yeah, he okay. was, he was supposedly rumored to be part of a Spider-Man film. Uh, but like, but because of those failures, that's how Sony swept in and got the rights. And yep. so, yeah. Uh, so I there- still would have loved to see the Michael Dudikoff, uh, Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> of course we would. Yeah, there was talk of Dolph Lundgren being the Green Goblet. I mean, sure. I, I don't know. Like, I just, there was a lot of weird things. There's also talk at one point I have Schwarzenegger be, uh, uh, was it Doc Ock? Yeah. And Michael Bean being Spider Man? Like, that was under yeah. the Cameron, like, script of that? Like, uh, oh, if, if you ever want just your head to sort of explode, go track down Cameron's Spider Man script. You can find it online or at least excerpts from it. It was pretty insane. 
I will have to check that out. Like, so that sounds pretty great. So I don't want to derail us, but I, I have to ask real quick. Like, was he, so like, Raimi was a huge Spider-Man fan, and you could see at least his love for the character with certain aspects of his films. Was it like Cameron, did he just like straight up adapt it and be like, oh, Spider-Man kills or does crazy <laughs> things? Or, or was it pretty close to the comic, at least? It was very much take the essential elements of Spider-Man and then filter them through whatever James Cameron was doing at the time. Because oh. I, 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 reading the script, he definitely was on something. Some of the dialogue <laughs> is absolutely awful. And you wonder, it's just like, man, this guy's made so many good movies. This movie would have been terrible. <laughs> I have the to special effects would have been incredible, but <laughs> the movie itself would have been bad. Yeah, I mean, well, thank goodness that Sony went along and, and made... <laughs> It made some pretty good Spider-Man movies. Sometimes, you know, not all the time. Uh, so, with canon, uh, like now that like the, the the shadow keeps getting longer with them, right? Like more people look back and be like, oh, like they even even some of their bigger bigger misses are still joy to be had there. And that's kind of why Steve and I want to take this year and kind of go through because there there's something to be gleaned sometimes in an absolute failure. Like there's something to be to be had, not just enjoyment because of failure, but it takes a lot of work to make a bad movie too. You know, that's the thing that I need to remind myself of often. What makes like when you think of all the other people that are releasing movies at this time, and there's some other like you know, other studios that are putting out films. What makes Canon feel different? Like because I feel like people keep coming back to them than some of the other uh, companies in the 70s and 80s that were putting out like action films. Well, I think they touch on it in the documentary. I think it's the heart. I think at the end of the day, and uh, Paul, you said something about it that they wanted to make movies. They wanted to make what they wanted to see, and there was it in much. Like I speak about the Italian films I love, like there was some sort of artistry and heart put into these movies, and it definitely comes across on the screen. And uh, I, I guess just the insane visuals in some of these movies as well um, definitely will hold them up above some of the other schlock that was coming out from this period. Yeah, I mean, it's just the fact that they kind of gave unrestricted access to the directors to pretty much do whatever they wanted. And they had sort of an enthusiastic support from the, the heads of this uh, group, allowing them to do that. And it, it's hard to exactly quantify why the canon films have st stood out like they have, because, again, they've made a lot of really terrible ones. If you were to sit down and watch every canon film, you're probably going to find more terrible movies than good. <laughs> But the good ones that that are the good, they're transcendently good, often by being very, very bad. So yeah. with with the way the, the the studio system is now, in terms of like you have like the big tent poles, and then then not there's not a lot of stuff in between. It just seems like there's the big, big crowd pleasing movies, and then it takes more to make the smaller films. You know, like to like maybe not make take more, but a concentrated effort to get some of those made. Do you feel like? does it feel similar to what like Canon was trying to do in the sense that they had their big crowd pleasers and then they would have those, all these other smaller projects. I don't know if their influences affected the way films are released. Cause I feel like they did put out a lot, but they, they had always kind of like pushed the spectacle of it to get people in the seats. I feel like we're, there's some of that going on now with, with some of the, the studios, the way they release stuff during the summer. I don't know if that's really yeah. a question. It's more of a statement, I guess, but I don't yeah. know. I just, um, I just, I feel like they, 
I have a point here and I'm not making it. So I, I feel like I, I've, I've stumbled through it. So Steve, save me. Um, <laughs> so I, I think I understand what you're trying to say. Eat the Snickers, Good, I, have, I have no idea what I'm saying. Um, I mean, I think they definitely hit upon something with the heart of the films, but also I think the fact that like they didn't restrict themselves to what they would make. Like it would be chuck norris on a motorcycle that would fire a rocket that would blow up robert forrester at the end of the movie or it would be othello like they're so far from like what you would expect like uh, studios the apple or the apple yeah absolutely (laughs) um you know they were kind of all over the place and i think in some ways that was good that they were diverse you know like they signed toby hooper granted going in thinking that they were going to get another texas chainsaw like the first texas chainsaw toby hooper wanted to make a completely different movie um and that kind of threw him off but you know he also did life force he also did invaders from mars granted those films weren't big hits either but like they 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 kind of just tried to make the best movies that they could at least in a lot of instances you know i'm sure there were a lot that were made simply to make a buck but i I guess my point is and maybe i found one now maybe not my rambling uh, no 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 no. (laughs) now i'm tagging it no it's the hot tag uh no it's just uh with with the rise of the you know of the blockbuster like with with jaws and and things before they started coming on the scene i feel like that was kind of that energy they were trying to get you know and i feel like there's a lot of that that's been imprinted now with with the blockbuster model you know like in terms of you have these big big ones and then you know and then if you make other things that break even like there's a lot of movies that we've liked the past couple of years that have been like studio releases but they didn't get big theatrical play and they may have made their money back but people still view them as a success you know like it's it's weird now how that seems to be like permeating yeah and i think that's just sim- the simple economics i mean a lot of major studios have organize their release schedules around tent poles, focusing upon fewer projects in order to shore up their financial strength and not necessarily investing as much in the smaller mid-budget stuff. Um, that has left an opening for other people to explore that outside of the theater, you know, we with the rise of different streaming platforms and, of course, television providing an outlet for more, not necessarily... Uh, well, slightly more niche entertainment that's mm-hmm. nevertheless very good. I think that one of the key differences between what the studios are doing now versus what the Canon approach was, was the the, uh, the the diversity of Canon. The fact that they would just invest in a bunch of different things. Ultimately, they were still just ch- trace, uh, chasing trends. But at the same time, they would be willing to take a couple risks on certain things because I think that they just thought it was a good idea. So, like, do you feel like Netflix is kind of in that Wild West territory right now, too? Like, they're kind of traveling in where it's like, we're going to throw money at a lot of this stuff. And if it hits, we're just going to keep it on our platform and bring people in. And if it doesn't, oh, well, like, we're going to move on to the next thing. That's what it feels like to me right now with what they're doing. Yeah, kind of. Netflix would actually be a good comparison to that because they do cast such a wide net and bring in so many things and also provide platform for platforms for filmmakers that uh, may not be able to get the attention of some of the major studios and may not be able to sort of break in the the same kind of way. Now, granted, a lot of the stuff that Netflix is doing is uh, just picking up distribution rights for production. But um, I I think the energy is complicated there at least in terms of just getting stuff out but again that that core element that we've identified about canon that made them so special that passion there i'm not sure if it's it there's that same kind of passion at play Mm -hmm. within netflix which the 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 stereotype is that they're very algorithm uh driven 
So yeah. here's a question. Seem, oh, go ahead. It seems like it seems like they're spending money, like uh, the Canon films uh, near yeah. the end of there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I I don't know how Netflix is affording to make all this stuff, but I guess I guess the dust will settle eventually, and we'll we'll see where the money is coming from and going. <laughs> yeah, especially since it's only pr- pr- like ten people who pay for Netflix accounts, and then they just give their logins to everybody. Yeah, right. <laughs> you don't, I'm you, unfortunately one of those ten. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm part of that as well. Yeah. If uh, if Clyde the orangutan was still alive, I'm sure you'd have like a five picture production deal already signed up with Netflix. Because if you're going to give Adam Sandler like ten films, why not give him five? You know, so. So here, I got to see the Bud Spencer uh, orangutan movie, though. Yeah. Every time I watch this documentary, I the totally Bobo forget one? about it. The going bananas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 With, with, with the. <laughs> like, and then at the end of the documentary, after the credits roll, they have that thing show up again. It's like, oh, good. I, I wasn't going to sleep anyway. So thank you. <laughs> so here's a hypothetical for you that just popped in my mind. Like if Canon was still around today. Who do you think like would be working for them? Like I, the per- first person comes to my mind is like somebody like Robert Rodriguez. Like if you look at like Machete, like that could have easily have been a canon film. Like granted, it was playing off Grindhouse films and almost that same feel from from the eighties with uh, canon. But like I kind of wonder, like would would it be like a Quentin Tarantino type place, or would it be like I, I just wonder like what type of films they would be making now and who would be you know behind them. Like I, I think it would be a fascinating company. I realize it's a hypothetical. I just literally threw out there, but like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I could certainly see a filmmaker like Isaac Florentine, who brought us the Undisputed uh, sequels, working That's with Canon. I was, was going to say him or like Jesse V. Johnson, who mm. uh, they're living in that uh, made for VOD uh, action movie world right now. I feel like they're directly influenced from uh, Canon. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, somebody else just popped in my head too, and and I oh, I was thinking about how like the the, the latest Puppet Master was like they scored um, oh god, I can't think of his name now. Um, Craig Dollar. Dollar. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, you know, I think it would be interesting to see like what that would have been like if if they ha- had that type of talent now, or if they were still around, I should say. Well, I mean, no matter what, they'd always tell you that, like, you know, they, their Netflix version would be like you'd just see coming soon, and they would just see if people clicked on it to see if maybe they'd make it. That's what would happen. <laughs> you know? Imagine uh, Canon funding like a fifteen million dollar Astron Six film. That's what I want to see. <laughs> well, and that's the thing that we find ourselves in: that we exist in a world that, with the rise of VOD and with so many of available platforms for people, as well as the relative sl- low barrier to entry, or at least lower barrier to entry to filmmaking compared to past decades, we don't have just one canon. We have about a hundred different canons, all putting out their own stuff. And while there is no one uh, studio that kind of rises up and make you think, oh, yeah, these guys are the inheritor of canon, you can still pe- see people making movies with their with the, ca- the same kind of canon philosophy. It's just a lot more scattershot. Yeah, I, that's, that's fair. Um, so Steve, you had no, point. no, I just like to bring things up and then not comment on them. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I'm just wandering in the woods hoping I come across a point or, or something that smacks me in the face. So whatever. Um, so yeah, I feel like this is going to be this is going to be an evolving conversation over the course of a year because I'm sure I'm going to get I'm going to dig in um, because obviously we're going to be watching these movies. There's a book I ordered I don't remember the name of it now, but it's like an out of print book that cost me thirty dollars for an okay paperback version of it. So that's coming tomorrow, I think. What's it called? I don't remember, oh. but um, it's just that <laughs> looking on like if you go like on like try to find copies of it like like perfect like 
decent copies of it. It's like 80, 90 bucks, even more. And I'm like, I'll take the beat up $30 one, please. So, and this was released like a couple years before the fall of Canon. So it'll be interesting to see that perspective of that book. And I'm hoping to dig in. And then some of the movies that we're watching, I'm sure will be referenced. Has anybody seen that documentary that supposedly they put out before electric Boogaloo? The uh, go-go boys. Yeah. Or whatever it's called. I, no, I, I haven't gotten to that yet. Okay. I haven't either. So I was just curious. I, I do like that was the code of the film is that they heard that there was a documentary about them coming out and that they beat it to theaters. Like they made their own. <laughs> that seemed about right. So, um, so the one thing I will also mention too, is that like, obviously we have our own, like our own loves of certain parts of Canon. I, I want to say that part of the reason why I'm interested in this year is that I, I did, I uh, did make my wife sit down and, and watch this documentary with me because, um, I knew that some of the stuff was too weird to, you know, to believe unless you saw it. But also because she's a really good blank slate for a lot of this because she doesn't, it's not on her radar. So watching this and, and seeing some of the scenes pop up, she's like, I don't know what this company is, but I want to watch these movies. And I felt like that was the perfect encapsulation of what Canon was, where it's like, I don't really know what's going on, but I want more of it. So I thought I felt like that was a good, a good indication that we're heading in the right direction. Yeah, yeah, I didn't, get that, I didn't get that same response when uh, in the in the shared viewing of this documentary. <laughs> well, let's just say that there's people in this household I live with that are really excited to watch the Apple now. So that's uh, fair. Uh, yeah. So that anyway. So the, uh, uh, one one thing I wanted to throw out yeah. there, just focusing upon this documentary in particular, uh, just I want to put out my appreciation for Mark Hartley, who's done some excellent uh, film documentaries, starting in 2008 with his doc not quite Hollywood, all about uh, exploitation films made in Australia, as well as the one he did about um, uh, exploitation filmmaking in the Philippines, Machete Maidens Unleashed. And it's yes. been a good now five years since he last put out Electric Boogaloo, so I'm really hoping he's working on something good. I'll have to watch those. I've, I've, I've heard of them in passing. I've not seen them. They're fantastic. Yeah, Machete Maidens Unleashed just uh, it brought me down a whole other rabbit hole. And I think that was my first... Uh, introduction into wang wang yeah uh, was in that movie so that That's i fun. think a lot of people were first introduced to that that uh film series and that character in that um but yeah paul you you would love both of those documentaries i'm sure steve too you would definitely dig them um much like these uh, this documentary it's very breezy really entertaining um it just really well put together documentaries um mm -hmm. and it, i we didn't really speak to electric boogaloo but i love they cover so much in this documentary in such a little time, but it doesn't feel like they're really skipping over much. Like yep. it, it's, it's just everything flows so nicely and it's just, it's, it's a solid like hundred minutes or something. And, um, I just said, I've watched this twice now and it was entertaining both times. I, I can't think of another documentary that I've watched more than once, you know? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> This one, I was I was wondering how it would play on a second viewing, and there's just so much in this that I'm sure I could watch this again next week and still have a blast with it. So yeah, I, I like going back and watching the Mark Hartley documentaries. I mean, I think it was just last month I rewatched Machete Maidens Unleashed just because he's a great documentary filmmaker and he's great at putting together these stories. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's a mark because I always have trouble reviewing documentaries i'm like yeah i had good information cool <laughs> but when you're able to tell a story like this and seamlessly go from subject to subject and and sometimes he doesn't quite go in chronological order of the story um 
but the subjects make sense as it flows through the film and everything. It just I I'm I'm a huge fan of this dude's work. And I, I definitely have to go back and check uh, Machete Maidens again because it's it's been nine years now. I can't believe that. It's insane. <laughs> well, I like that there's the, the one MGM guy they kept coming back to that he was only like involved with Canon for like two years or something, and he was so <laughs> sour on the whole situation <laughs> that they kept. Well, I back also to him. love the one actress who was in uh, uh, America Three Thousand that burnt her last copy that she had <laughs> of the movie on camera. <laughs> <laughs> it's. And uh, Alex Winters, who has turned into a fine documentary filmmaker in his own right. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, um, he did that Napster documentary, correct? Yeah, and the uh, Dark Web one as well. Okay. Uh, I, I know, I know who he is. Okay. I, don't, I, just, I, I had to explain to my wife. I'm like, well, he's you know part of Bill and Ted. I forget. He's not Keanu. That's like, and I was like, also the Lost Boys. You know, like, um, no, I, I know who Alex Winters. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so all right. Um, again, I just cannot highly recommend. I've said this seven times already. This this documentary. If people have a pass passing interest in what we've talked about, check it out, and then be as excited as as we are for what's coming this year. And actually, I was going to mention too. If you're somebody who's looking for, I don't know if it's a Available in Blu-ray, but when the documentary came out, they released a box set that was uh, the documentary plus nine of the canon films. So it includes like Invasion USA, Delta Force, Cobra, Masters of the Universe, um, a Chuck Norris film called Hellbound, which oddly enough I haven't gotten to yet, so I still need to watch that one. Uh, Bloodsport. I'm sure, Kevin's seen it. Um, I I have. <laughs> Um, but it, it was like 20 bucks. I don't know if it's still that price now because it was a year or two ago when I picked it up, but um, it's a nice sampling of the films that they put out um, and the documentary. The documentary alone is worth it, but you know you can get all that, and it was, it was pretty cheap when I found it. So Nice. Yeah, I remember when that popped out, and I remember being disappointed that uh, they were only putting it out on DVD because if it was on Blu-ray, I would, it would be on my shelf right now. Okay. Yeah, so and, they, and my my trepidation with it was I owned all the movies already, <laughs> so I was like, eh, I don't need that. Um, but yeah, when this came out, I bought this at Walmart for like seven fifty on DVD for Electric Boogaloo. It was it was a steal. So I it was something I happily added to my collection. Yeah, and I think I first watched it because it was on Netflix. So speaking of that, it was there for a while, and then um, I know Steve, you gave me the other copy because you got yeah, that set. So. Yeah, so that was nice of you. Thank you. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like to give. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess that will. I mean, you know, we could keep going on and on, but we're gonna we're gonna take a year to get through all this stuff. So maybe we should uh, just you know let the canon come to us over the course of the year. And and, and because of this, I thought it'd be great to have more people involved. So of course, uh, you Kevin and, and you Algoro, we've invited you back on the show at later dates. We've not figured out those exact dates. But to talk about specific canon films. So if you guys want to just tell us what those films are, and then I'll also reveal some of the other picks that we have other people coming on the show to talk about. Go for it, Kevin. Oh. All right. So my pick, I was going to pick a Chuck Norris movie because I own pretty much all of his movies on VHS, DVD, Blu-ray, some on Laserdisc, uh, have most of the posters to his films uh, somewhere in my house, <laughs> whether it be down in my basement gym or in the living room or right like above me on the wall. Sounds like they're stalking uh, you. You're like, I think they're in the house somewhere. <laughs> These Chuck Norris posters keep hiding. I don't know. They're yeah. waiting. Oh, there's some boxed up upstairs because I have no more wall space in the house. You know, it's just, it's the plight of a collector. Um, so I was going to pick a Chuck Norris movie because I, that's, that's me, Chuck Norris collection. Um, but, 
Paul had told me last weekend that two other people have picked Chuck Norris movies. So I didn't want to I didn't want to pick another one. I didn't want you guys to have to watch Chuck Norris movies all year. So my next favorite thing that Canon did were the ninja films. And um, so I figured I might as well give you guys the first one. So I picked Enter the Ninja. And I I think you guys are going to have a blast with it, especially Paul, who has been recently getting into the work of Franco Nero. Uh, seeing him as a ninja in this is ridiculous. It just bumps uh, I me will, out that he, he's he's dubbed. Like I was like, yeah, I was gonna say I will warn you that the dubbing takes away. But if you've watched enough uh, Franco Nero films, you can almost hear him just from watching <laughs> his lips move. And the line delivery would have been so much funnier if they would have just let him actually have the the, the speaking part for it. But um, yeah, I rewatched it yesterday because i wanted to make sure it held up and i actually ordered the blu-ray for myself to rewatch it and it definitely holds up um it's i i also found because the initial actor who was supposed to play the main ninja in it before frank is this guy mike stone who ended up working with canon films on a lot of the ninja movies as either a fight choreographer or stunt choreography um he was supposed to play the lead role this guy mike stone guy and they ended up replacing him because he was a terrible actor. Got Franco Nero in it. So after Franco Nero ended up not being a convincing ninja in this one, Shokasugi, who played the black ninja in this, they ended up bringing him back for the rest of the ninja trilogy. And uh, he went on to have his whole action career as well. So this will just lead you down a whole rabbit hole. And um, of, they wanted Shokasugi later on in the American Ninja films. But he turned it down. Uh, they offered it to Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris turned it down. And then that ended up with Michael Dudikoff. So, I mean, there's just rabbit holes upon rabbit holes. <laughs> you can go down to these ninja films. But I figured I'd give you guys the first one. It may not be the best one, but uh, it's definitely a lot of fun. And I think you guys will at least get a few laughs out of it. I can't wait. I, I love Franco Nero. Is, now, isn't so. Franco Nero supposed to be from Texas in that movie, too? He's a Texas ninja or something Yeah, his like name's Cole. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, him and uh, um, who was it? His his friend. I can't remember the actor's name, but they were in Nam together, and they came back. And um, uh, Franco Nero's character had some trouble readjusting, so he went to Japan for a while and studied the ancient art of ninjutsu, nice. and ended up becoming a ninja. And then just <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> just, <laughs> Popularizing one of the great greatest stereotypes of the white ninja. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like the pick. This would be fun. This is definitely the whitest of all ninjas. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Michael Dudikoff looks looks Asian compared to uh, <laughs> Franco Nero in this one. I, I, well, I mean, wanna... Franco Nero wouldn't be a great ninja to, to begin with because he has those piercing eyes. That's, I mean, yeah. <laughs> even no. <laughs> I want to be, just, it'd be terrible. Just be too busy falling in love with him over and over again to pay attention to the movie. So exactly, you know, I mean, even if he covers everything else up, you know, he people would be able to pick him out of a lineup because of the strength of those eyes. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you guys know? Because you guys are both like big Blu-ray guys. Um, do you know? Was there like a good Blu-ray set of the American Ninja films? Because those are ones I haven't uh, revisited oh. since like the nineties. Overseas, there is. Is there? Yeah, German releases, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, I forget yeah. what company it was, but from what I hear, uh, it's been on my wish list on Amazon UK for a while. Uh, from what I hear, the transfers are pretty amazing on that. Okay, 
I'll but, I mean, in. just just buy the DVDs. It's Since fine. Paul has <laughs> yeah, a, uh, a yeah. If you want to buy them and bring player. them over, we'll, we'll watch them on my region free player. It'd be amazing. All right. So and and okay. Good good pick. And uh, and El Goro, what is your pick for the year of canon? I have to say, I was very very tempted to go on a similar track as Kevin on this because one of my favorite films that Canon put out is part of that Ninja trilogy, and that's the sequel, Revenge of the Ninja. But ultimately, after much soul searching, I decided to go back to my roots to discuss the film that brought me to the dance with Canon. Even though I didn't know that it was put out by Canon at the time, it was the first movie I ever saw from that studio, and it remains near and dear to my heart. It's 1987's Masters of the Universe. Because well, if you were going to pick it, I know Steve was going to pick it. So I'm glad. Yeah. You know, <laughs> there you go. I, I, I got to be able to get some conversation out of it. <laughs> I Particularly when we enough. start delving into the uh, curious connection between Masters of the Universe and uh, a Jack Kirby property. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be, and then I just talk about Quildor because I have problems with Quildor. We'll yeah. get into that. Oh, how how can you have problems with Quildor? That's yeah. Billy Barty, and Billy Barty's a saint. I was fortunate enough to see that one in the theater, so that's why it was uh, on my list. It's uh, I saw it once. It was right after the happening. So <laughs> well, this was '87. I, yeah, I, this was three years ago. Yeah. So yeah, just, um, I, I don't know if I was target market anymore, but yeah, no, it'll be fun. So all right, so we got some some good ones there. Other ones that are coming up. Uh, we're going to have Invasion USA with all the mall destruction going on there. Uh, Death Wish 3 is going to be on there somewhere. <laughs> I got to get some Bronson as well. Um, and Delta Force. So more. Uh, we got Lee Marvin in there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, let's see what else. Bloodsport, which I wrote as Bloodspot. That's not that movie. Bloodsport. <laughs> Bloodspot was an image comic in yeah, the 90s. Bloodspot was the, was, <laughs> God, yeah, the, was. was the cool spot. On a rampage, he just got out the Seven Up bottle and went and killed people. Uh, and then I think we're going to wrap up the year with Cyborg because uh, Mr. Dynamo Mars of Trick or Treat Radio picked that one, so we're going to uh, cover Cyborg probably to wrap it all up because I feel like that is like just as Canon's starting to kind of sunset. You know, I figured that'd be a good one to to end the year on. So we got two Norses. So, just remember, Invasion USA is technically a Christmas movie. That's yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> um, did the Cyborg Blu-ray come out yet? Uh, I wait. Did the Screen Factory put that out yet? Yeah, I. They were the ones that were going to do it. Um, I don't remember if they put it out yet, though. Let me check. Yeah, I thought there was some issue because there was backlash. Um, here I found it on Amazon. Here, there was some backlash because initially when they announced it, it wasn't going to have the director's cut, mm-hmm. and so many people are complaining that they ended up pulling the release date and going back and getting the uh, director's cut of it. Yeah. Um, so if that's out, no, it doesn't come. Uh, yeah, April twenty fourth, I guess. Oh, so there you go. It's be in good shape. Nice. Cool. All right. So yeah. yeah so um, I, that was my the question. Cut, not all that great. <laughs> yeah, that's, that was my question. Are you guys going to watch director's cut or the uh, theatrical? I did not know that there was there was. Well, I mean, at the, the documentary talked about there was two different cuts. So watch um, both. And after oh, yeah. after my um, my lukewarm uh, appreciation of Nemesis, that other Albert Pion movie, I don't know. Maybe do I have to watch Cyborg twice? That's going to be tough. Like you know, um, yeah. Anyway, so uh, yeah, other like I know there's going to be some other movies we're going to pepper in here. I know the one we're covering this month is going to be The Apple, so we're going to get to that one. Kick this thing off uh, properly by watching a musical, something that we've never really covered on the show before. So this will be interesting. Um, I guess it's technically a musical. I'm sure it's a musical. Uh, so that'll be fun. Oh, it was a musical. I, I mean, they musical. gave out the soundtrack. Yeah. I know, and the... people threw it at the screen. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. so hard that it stuck into the screen. <laughs> yes. That's which my favorite. Some, 
that's my favorite bit of which takes uh, some doing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's some power behind the. Because <laughs> you, you got to you got to think that th- those probably weren't quality vinyls, so they would have been floppy as anything. So somebody threw it with enough fury <laughs> to to sink into the screen. That's that's pretty good. And then that inspired the ninja craze. They're like, wait a second, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. All right, yeah. So that's it's going to be a fun year, and I'm glad that you guys were here to make us sound, you know, you know, classy and smart and all that good stuff. Um, so yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be a fun, crazy, weird year, the year of canon. Uh, I don't feel like it's too far off base, like Kevin was saying, of the year of the knockoff. So this still fulfills my need to to go odd with things, but this will be great to kind of dig into something that I didn't realize it colored a lot of my childhood in a lot of ways. So this will be a yeah. lot of fun. I'm just proud of myself for not going on a uh, Chuck Norris conversation for an hour and a half. I, <laughs> you brought him up, and I, I had to mute myself. I <laughs> Remarkable con- con- uh, restraint, sir. Yes. I, I can only imagine that you're going to end up showing up on the Chuck Norris episodes, and it's like, I, like we're not even going to be on Skype. I don't know how it's going to happen. You're going to be there suddenly talking about Chuck Norris. It's going to be amazing. He just shows I'm just up gonna, the house. I'm just going to start after the show, and I'll still be going by the time you get to those movies. <laughs> I did just buy, I finally picked up the Shout Factory Blu-ray of Invasion USA as well. So I'm, I'm excited to rewatch that. I'm going to hold off so I can watch it with you guys, um, just as you are doing that episode. So oh, I can perfect. Well, I keep up. All right. So, okay. So I think it's going to put a pen in our, our canon conversation for now. It's going to be ongoing. Uh, before we get to our, our, our wonderful game that I have here about loot boxes, or not, sorry, subscription services, uh, we should, I guess everybody should tell everybody how they can find each other. So, so uh, uh, Goro, how can people find you? All right. Well, if you want to hear um, Talk Without Rhythm, which is my movie discussion podcast, you can find us on tworpodcast.blogspot.com or just search for Talk Without Rhythm and Pull it down that way, as well as the Five Hossmen. That's uh, F I V E H O S S M E N. It is a wrestling podcast. We try to put out an episode once a month. Lots of deep dives into the slightly less popular side of wrestling. There's not a lot of discussion of the WWE, but a lot of discussion of Japanese wrestling, independent wrestling, all of that stuff. Again, just do a search for the Five Hossmen. You'll find us. Perfect. And Kevin, sure. Just tell people how you can find us. <laughs> Yeah, you you know you know how to find me, Paul. Uh, just search "Strange Highways" podcast. Uh, we'll pop up anywhere you get your podcast from, and uh, we'll be back this week. I'm very excited to jump back into Twilight Zone, taking a little hiatus, covering some other stuff, and uh, going on talk without rhythm two weeks ago now. Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah, it was yeah. two weeks yeah, ago. We so a about a little bit of a hiatus, but ready to kick off the year again. Get back into some. Uh, Serling Fair. Yeah, we, we did uh, some talk about the Grither from Tales from the Dark Side, and then uh, and then we don't talk about <laughs> rhythm. Without the Grither, did not get us though, so that was uh, it was good. Yeah, I was going to say, as a listener of that episode, you guys really uh, it was a really good episode. It was uh, a really strong like no, cause <laughs> you're like most of the stuff you guys do is shit, but that one, the one about Tales from the Dark Side was pretty good. No, no, no I'm sorry the the, the year end uh, El Goro uh, year. Oh, okay. yeah, that I episode, thought you were talking about the Grither. No, I, I was talking saying, about your guys' podcast. As of the three of you, you know, the one who was would be the listener, I was just trying to the in part the, the, that the that was a really great episode. I'm so. glad that you're our um, you, our target market to Steve. You know, like <laughs> one of one Steve's a good market to have. 
Yeah. And Paul, uh, mentioning the grither, I'm convinced that my dog is part grither, and that's why his ears are so big. <laughs> yeah. It's just people talking about him. He's so. like, I hear it. I, I got, I, I'm going to catch flight. I'm going to come get you. Yeah. So right. if you're confused what that means, go back and check out the grither episode of Strange Highways. Yeah. All right. And Steve, how can people find you? Uh, you can find me every week on Invasion of the Podcast. Uh, no, uh, like, you can, Steve's like, I approve of that sometimes. Uh, look at, uh, look at, <laughs> you can find uh, the uh, horror webcomic I do with my partner, Ryan Cassandy, the Saturday Night Slasher, at thesaturdaynightslasher.com. We also have copies available on Etsy. If you look for our Etsy shop, it's called Art of the Slash. And uh, in the end of May, May 31st through June 2nd, I'm going to be at the Retro Invasion uh, convention in Westlake, and I believe I'm going to be booking another convention that's happening in Cleveland quite soon, so hopefully once I have that taken care of, I'll make an announcement for that as well. And the, Well, the Retro Invasion weekend, that's one that has Joe Bob Briggs coming to it, right? Yeah, I mean, that's got Joe Bob Briggs. They um, just signed recently uh, Robert Kurtzman, who's a big special effects guy, mm-hmm. um, part of K&B, um, and... Uh, I'm going to blank on his name, but I always think of him as the father uh, in the Twisted Sister videos. Uh, he was also the maestro on Seinfeld. Uh, he was oh, just he added was in to Animal the show. House. Yeah, and Animal House. Um, he was just added as well, and I apologize for not remembering his name, but there's a ton of talented people there, a lot of um, great guests. So um, if you. Uh, I, I, I got nothing. I just go there for them and also go support Steve, you know. So well, yeah, yeah. Right, Steve so. has uh, has my book shipped out yet? So um, it's, well, it's sitting right here with me. I, yeah, I, I thought you okay. were coming over tonight, so um, I can either ship it or uh, I can leave it with Paul, whichever you prefer. I will yeah, try to just leave it with Paul. Yeah. I'm sure I'll see him soon. So. Like I'll come to your house, you're not there, and I'll leave a notification, being like, "I tried to drop this off." No, <laughs> yeah, 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 no. Um, all right, and uh, you can find us at Invasion of the Podcast. We're on Facebook. Uh, we're invasionpodcast.com, where I have my, my poorly worded blog posts about various movies I've watched. I just did my my uh, year of the knockoff, uh, like top like the twelve ranking, whatever for the ones I watched the blog. Uh, and then I also fit in Explorers. By the way, Explorers was not. That was not a good movie, by the way. That oh, was we're going to have to fight. <laughs> you, you like Explorers? Yeah, I, I, I really like Explorers. Well, well, if that movie had a third act, I'd, I'd talk to you more about it, but it doesn't oh, have a third on. act. Yeah, anyway, so oh. it doesn't, it does, it literally does not have a third act. I was reading all about this. Like, they cut the movie down. They're like, we're just going to put this out in the theater. And he's like, all right, I guess I want to dub some dialogue and end this movie. Like, it literally does not have an ending. So that's that, that, that's my argument. So anyway, uh, you can find us on Twitter, uh, uh, Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, all that stuff where you find your podcast. Rate and review us, please. That'd be greatly appreciated. And yeah, enough about all that. Let's just get to this this wonderful game I put together about subscription boxes. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. And that's as much wrestling as we get to usually on the show. So there, there you go. Um, so uh, not because I'll never not laugh at Lemmy's laugh in that. It's, it's great. <laughs> so yeah. good. Uh, so subscription boxes. I feel like, like I know um, Steve, you, you you have a service right now. You you're, you're subscribed to right the, the yeah uh, Rue Morgue's coffin box. Yeah. So it comes with a copy, the, whatever the latest issue of Rue Morgue is. Usually a T-shirt, uh, oftentimes a toy, and then like a fourth like random thing so okay. oh and blu-rays it usually uh like uh 
uh, Train to Busan was one of them recently. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. Okay. So. So, and I don't know how, how often you guys have used subscription services, but I feel like they're everywhere now. Like, so I just thought it'd be interesting just because to kind of go out into the world and see how many subscription services there are. And then I just basically made up a game here of, is this a real, like, I'm gonna give you two and you're gonna tell me which one's the real one or the fake one. Right. So we'll go around the horn here. Um, so Steve, I'll do it with you first here. Which, which one of these is the real one? Mantry? Or Brobecue, which one is the real subscription service? Mantry? <laughs> yeah. Um, like a man pantry. I, I feel like Brobecue uh, is probably the real one because it's a, it's a better <laughs> name, I at least in my opinion. So Mantry just sounds, I don't know, it sounds like a tree, like like it sounds like Groot. Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> Mantry? <laughs> the first thing that popped into my head was from Hell It Came, the old uh, sci-fi movie. Oh. I don't know, I was going with like some sort of male grooming kit. Oh. Uh, yeah, so uh, actually, Mantry's the real one. Uh, it is a bi-monthly subscription box that sends food for the modern man's pantry, as opposed to the unmodern man that has a cave where he just keeps his food in. So it's vodka and liquor. All yeah. I need is an alcove to hang my meat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, this roadkill won't season itself. I need a mantry. Uh, where are my road chicken tenders? <laughs> yes, yes. That's where you stick your road tenders is the mantry. Um, so boxes feature six artisan and small batch food items from across the U.S. It sounds like bullshit to me, but anyway, that's the real, that's the real one. So, all right, Kevin, it's just full of jacklings. It's not even, <laughs> <laughs> we found these around the country. It's, Sasquatch it's is on just, the box. Yeah, yeah. It's just various findings at like uh, gas stations. You know, it's like, oh, this is gas station pizza. This is gas station pizza as well. Some planner, some planners nuts, some jacklings, a bag of Doritos. Man, I really want some Doritos tonight. I don't know what's going on. All right. Uh, okay. Uh, Kevin, we'll, we'll, we'll hit you up next here. What, which one of these are the real one? Uh, Urban Dapper Club or Hedora? Oh, God. I'm, uh, I'm hoping neither. <laughs> I'm gonna say the Urban Dapper Club. That one's real. That is the real one. I just I, I made a fedora because I wanted to sound like it was a script service for female fedoras, whatever that is. Like you know, fedora. <laughs> yeah, fedora. Nice. Right. Like I just or, like I just like making up dumb names. Is really, what it comes down to. Um, Urban Dapper Club is a subscription box for men where you can build a collection of unique, high-quality handmade ties. We send you five to six men's fashion mm. lifestyle accessories every month, so you can be dapper in the urban areas. I Hopefully they're all clip on. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, all right. Uh, so El Goro, this next one's for you. This one is uh, the Supernatural Box or the Supernatural Box. Which one? <laughs> what? what? <laughs> the, the Supernatural Box or the Supernatural Box. Uh, <laughs> supernatural box yeah so um one of them this i feel is like the, i got cheated on this yeah one. i just like i just i want one i was gonna say one is full of like ghost hunting supplies and then the other one is an officially licensed quarterly mystery box that has items from the show supernatural like exclusive oh i see oh. okay yeah. Okay, so, uh, I'm going to go with the ghost hunting supplies one, the supernatural box. Okay, so no, the one from the show is the real one. So oh, I don't of course like... it is. <laughs> it says... There's a lot of 40-year-old moms that love that show. Yeah. It's just like Jensen Ackles used socks from the set. <laughs> 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 
Yeah, I just you I, know people will be buying that up. Oh, of course. Yeah, I just I just thought it'd be funny. Be like, oh, well, ghost hunting. That seems like something people like. I like the idea that it'd be an empty box each month. Be like, here you go. Here's a supernatural <laughs> box. You open it. It's like you don't know what you let loose in your house. Now you have five minutes to find it. You know. Like I just so. hope that there's a you know scrawled note at the bottom of every box that says ghosts aren't real. You tool. <laughs> <laughs> so brief story. When I was working at Blockbuster, and this is when Paranormal Activity had first come out, I was I was working at the register. You know, random movies out hating my life and I had, I had just had a run-in with my manager like we're normally you know friends whatever but we just had like a dust up and we had to stand side by side and like like ring people out so it's that 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 anger kind of like you know emanating off of me and this this uh mother and daughter come up during parental activity and they're like you know trying you know to get it and i'm like you know checking them out they're like oh we heard that we heard this is based on a true story and i was like no nah, it's it's you know i don't think it, you know and i was just trying to be polite and they're like no i'm pretty sure i heard you know that this was like based on true events and i'm just like trying not to acknowledge it and they keep talking and i was like ghosts aren't real is what i said to them. <laughs> <laughs> and one of my other co-workers had to walk away from the counter because they were about to lose it and then the, the, the like the daughter was like oh well, i heard this is about demons anyway i'm like yeah that's way more real oh, yeah. like, like i don't believe in any of that ghost stuff but demons i just couldn't help it i just snapped i was like ghosts aren't real as i'm like checking them out at blockbuster you should yeah. just you should have crushed everyone's dreams like as soon as they walked up to the counter when you yeah. were up there i mean i i thought the movie's moody and effective i mean like if you let it bother you right but it's like like oh this is based on true events well okay yeah anyway so all right steve back to you this one <laughs> good luck with this one uh bonding bees or the pleasure chest bonding bees both of these the are for chest. um you know if you're just hanging out with somebody you're having a good time you know. um like you and i hang out yeah sure okay. i mean um, i mean we have not taken it to that level yet but i mean you know <laughs> I'm gonna say if we're going to watch Enter the Ninja with Franco Franco Nero's eyes, I'd make no guarantees (laughs) about what may or may not happen. I think bonding bees is is real just because the pleasure chest just sounds too perfect. (laughs) It sounds like it should be like a bar in like a police academy movie. So I I believe I cannot I cannot find proof of this, but I believe I've been to the strip club in North Carolina once when I was like on vacation. Okay, I think that was the name of the place. It's been so long, so that you're right. So that's not the real one. So bonding bees is the real one. And just the description here is just horrible. Uh, Bonding Bees is a subscription box delivering a date night to your door every month. Enjoy a fun new experience together and fall in love over and over. If you love new experiences and surprise date nights, then this box is for you. We know that you're busy with a million other things uh, to plan a fun date night on your own. That's why we do it for you. And like the, the picture show, like little fuzzy handcuffs and shit. And it's like, that's not really, I mean, I guess that's a date night, you know, but it's like, you think, oh, it's a date night in a box. It's like, okay, maybe it's like a bottle of wine or like a board game. No, it's just all sex stuff, you know, <laughs> it just reminds and, me and like bondage stuff. That's why I call it bonding bees. It just uh. reminds me of that episode of the Simpsons where Homer goes to the store to buy uh, fireworks and he comes home and like in the bag is like, cause he buys like Vaseline condoms, <laughs> <laughs> something else. And uh, and and a bunch of fireworks. And Marge looks at the bag. She's like, "I don't know what you have planned tonight, Homer, but count me out." <laughs> All right. Okay. So, Kevin, this next one's for you. This one, um, a little weird. Uh, bark box or bird box? Which one of those are the subscription services? <laughs> Well, uh, I subscribe to one of those, so I'm going to say BarkBox is real. Yeah, that's that's real. BirdBox is that film I've not seen, but everybody keeps talking about. We so. had a subscription to BarkBox as well, so I knew that was going to be the obvious one, but I just wanted to say yeah. BirdBox. It's really all. <laughs> <laughs> They're a fantastic company as well. Um, BirdBox. Uh, 
or bark box. Uh, yes, bird box. <laughs> <laughs> no, bark box. They have a thing called the Destroyers Club. So if your dog destroys toys too quick, you can take pictures and they like take money off your subscription thing. Oh, okay. Well, that's yeah, good. That's so, really nice. Yeah. So, all right. Yeah. All right. So, Ogoro, this next one is for you. It is the Steam Chest or Box of Goth. Huh. The Steam <laughs> Chest or Box of Goth. Uh, let's yeah. go with Box of Goth. Okay, well, you're right. That is a real one. And Steam nice. Chest is also a real one. So uh, so I'll read both of these here. The Steam Chest one, it's so long, it just makes you mad the so more you gross. read it. Well, <laughs> it's not what you think. So you'll see what I mean when I read it out here. <clears throat> Steam Chest is a subscription box that gets mailed to your door every month. With every package, you get a series of mystery items from the world of Victorian science fiction. Uh, it's a steampunk surprise box. It still it will have uh, between three to six items ranging from pocket watches to artisan teas, as in you drink, to t-shirts that you wear with original steampunk art. We collaborate with musicians to bring you the latest in steampunk music. I didn't know that there was cutting edge steampunk music. Uh, Apparently there is. We team up with movie directors to bring sneak peeks of steampunk's, steampunk influence uh, in the movie industry, whatever that is. We join up with authors to bring wild, you wild journeys. West. Yeah, yeah, it's just the wild, wild west over and over again. Every, every month. Yeah. Just a just a, a first DVD release of it. Wild, wild west. Interactive menus and, and all. Yeah. And League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we, we join up with authors to bring you journeys in the steampunk fiction. In addition, we provide you with wonderful craft items to help build your steampunk lifestyle. So, the, yeah, that's that's way too long. Box of Goth. This one's way shorter. Box of Goth is an alternative monthly subscription box filled with gothic and horror-inspired items. Please note, some items may be adult-themed. <laughs> <laughs> See, and that's, that segues into the best description of steampunk I ever heard. It's like when goths discover the color brown. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. So, okay, so we're back to, to you, Steve, right? All right, so we got uh, Jesus Box. Or savior of the month. <laughs> I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess Jesus box is probably a real thing. Oh, you're right. It is the real one. Right. I just I don't know what savior of the month is, but I like it. It's like that would be great if like yeah. one one month it's like Cthulhu, the next month it's <laughs> yeah. you know something yeah. else. All right, it's uh, yeah, King Payman. Yeah, that'd be great. All right, so <laughs> it's like none of these things have heads. All right, so uh, all right, so the Jesus box. Encourage the faithful women in your life to keep working to fill their calling with the Jesus box by Annabeth Sherry. That's a pretentious name. Uh, complete with a new book or, or devotion each month and three to five biblically inspired accessories. You'll give the gift of Bible study while supporting small Christian businesses. Like shot glasses. <laughs> shot glasses. It's just, it's just, a nails and a hammer every is, month they send you, you know? is this and wild wild west i don't know why <laughs> well the impression i'm getting is it that it's supposed to be a gift for your your christian lady is that it it's like, a, well it's a monthly subscription for you know your christian lady people all know? right yeah all right teach their own yeah all right um okay <laughs> all right kevin here you go larp oh, box boy. or totally real girlfriend <laughs> You know, I'm gonna go with totally real girlfriend this time, just to, <laughs> just in hopes that it's real. It is. It is not. Lart box is yeah. real. 
And I figured the, like the only, like I didn't put it up. There was really no description on the website, but they, they have these little tiny boxes they sell. Then they have these much larger ones that like, like ends up in like the, like the, the four digits for a subscription. I, I, I don't even know what they send you other than foam and like maces or something. And like maybe a morning star. I don't know what else they send you. Um, <laughs> I'm hoping like, totally real girlfriend would have been like just bobby pins and hair ties and stuff <laughs> yeah. that you can leave around your house that, to make people think you thought. do have a girlfriend yeah. i totally have a girlfriend yeah. like you know like there's like you get like a, like a handwritten letter like you know every so often or maybe a scarf yeah. that you know that's like with perfume and you just leave it like oh my totally real girlfriend left it here it's like th- shut up bill let's just go larp yeah you know, he's like okay fine i'll go grab my larp box that's Here's a, t- that- a copy of her ticket stub from Canada. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bus ticket. It says to Canada. Uh, now I know. I know. I'm making fun of like two things there, and I shouldn't. But I mean, because I think I think live action role play is kind of cool. I don't have uh, the the time or money to do it. But the idea that there's a LARP box had to have a girlfriend in a box. The other thing, not not no girlfriend in a box sounds horrible. Real girlfriend. <laughs> Um, totally. We, real. I was I was kicking around ideas with with my wife about this, and we we first stumbled across the idea of like real family, where it would just be like letters from your dad <laughs> saying you're doing a good job, or like you know, like just just the things to be like 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 the the pictures that you get at the store with like the family already in it, like you just keep them so around. Depressing. It's like <laughs> I think there should be like a junk drawer box where you get like you know random batteries and <laughs> maybe some Great. tape. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right, so of course uh, the darker manifestation of the real girlfriend box is that uh, every every box is a piece of your new girlfriend. Oh, you have to be yeah, a subscriber for a certain it. amount of time. Yeah. It's, just, it's just like you know, two more years. You know. Uh, so. <laughs> All right, so Al Gore, you're gonna you're gonna send us out here. Which one of these are the real one? Knife crate or hatchet box? Oh, I really want hatchet box to be real, so I'm gonna go with that one. Okay, this one almost was real, uh, and I'll, oh. I'll explain that in a second. Uh, knife crate is a real thing where they just send you a knife each month, which I'm like, how, I guess it makes sense. Like it, like it still doesn't feel cool. legal to me where it's like, Hey, by the way, we're just going to send you knives in the mail. Like, I just feels like that's, well, you I, see that would only work though. If there was a judgmental Australian just to pop up every month and say, that's not a knife. <laughs> so, oh, so hatchet box. Looks amazing. <laughs> it's only, <laughs> it's only 18 bucks a month. And we found the target audience for knife box. <laughs> So Hatchet Box was um, a Kickstarter that did not meet its goal, and I'll, I'll tell you how much it made and what its goal was. It was someone trying to make a, a subscription box surface for Juggalos for ICP. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> they say, <clears throat> this was their description, uh, hey, Juggalos and Juggalettes, I have started a new project called Hatchet Box. It's a monthly mystery subscription gift box based around the underground and the not-so-mainstream music scene. We want to make the underground music scene accessible and spread the family feel that goes along with it. The box will contain items such as music. Uh, it just contains music. It just opens them and starts playing. Posters, stickers, signed gear, exclusive items, etc. And every box will come with a fresh new t-shirt and Fago. We want to share the passion we have for this music uh, scene with as many people as possible while making this an avenue for promotion for various artists as well. We have launched a Kickstarter page for this project and would appreciate it if you'd be willing to like and share our page or even shout out. So here's your shout out three years later. Um, Spoiler, they didn't make their goal for the Kickstarter. Well, it's kind of hard when your target audience is expecting to fund it with a combination of uh, phago, meth, and venereal diseases, <laughs> <laughs> and magnets that may or may not work. Um, so, no, no, no. They they, they stay work. away from the magnets. Yeah, they, they, yeah. crap. So, their goal was seventy one thousand two hundred seventy dollars. This was their Kickstarter goal that they set for themselves, so they could make the hatchet box a reality. Do you guys? Do you want to guess 
roughly how much they made towards that goal. Three fifty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say I'm gonna say twenty dollars. Okay. I'm gonna go five hundred dollars. Okay. Well, El Guru, three fifty six was the answer. Thank wow. <laughs> Closest without going over. <laughs> so congratulations, you win both the hatchet box and the knife crate. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I'm on I'm on knifebox.com here. Knife box. There are so eighteen bucks gets you a knife. Sixty dollars gets you a tactical box. Whoa. Uh, Thirty-five gets you a sword box, and then uh, the one I'm interested. Thirty-five is called axe box. So it is. You, you get an axe every uh, every month. I mean, you know, I mean, if you just keep losing them for unknown reasons, I mean, that's probably a good thing. I mean, I didn't get get one last month. I don't know what you guys are talking about. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, I just uh, I I got a box of goth and a box of axes and something happened. I don't know. Um, But (laughs) I I found so the two side effects of this is one. There's way too many subscription services out there. Like I started going some weird places to find like there's a Martha Stewart wine one. Of course, there is like there's so many wine ones that it wasn't even funny to try to find one. Uh, And then. I, the, a lot of the spiritual ones, a lot of like crystals and stuff. But the problem is now that I searched all this, my Facebook feed's goofy. Like I'm getting all sorts of horrible subscription things thrown at me now because I just searched for it once. So yeah, that's, I don't know. Maybe I'll find girlfriend, real, totally real girlfriend eventually being advertised <laughs> to me. I don't know. But all right. Yeah, I, I, I subscribed to Lucha Crate at one point. That was, that was a really fun one. But uh, it was it was one of those things where it's like I can't justify spending thirty five dollars on this every month. <laughs> yeah, like I did a couple loot boxes just to because I mean the theme or whatever, and I got like there's this really nice cute little plush uh, face hugger that I got that's smiley. He's super happy because there's the Alien versus Predator box that I mm-hmm. you know I had to mm-hmm. you know get. Um, but I just feel like you always get like one thing. You're like, yeah, that's really cool. What am I going to do with the rest of this stuff? So that's yeah, that's where I fell into because I was I was a subscriber to what was the old horror box that uh, didn't last. Oh, Steve, uh, you remember that? Is uh, it Kevin? Box of Dread, or is that no, one still the, around? It was like Fright Box or oh, Scream Box. Or, uh, yeah, I think I think it, it was, was Scream Box. Okay. Scream Box. And I think the, the thing I always ran into was, was just what Paul was describing where, yeah, this is kind of cool. And then he realized, huh, if I'd taken the same money I'd spent on this box and actually just bought what I wanted, then I'd know I would have everything I wanted and wouldn't have all this other stuff that I, I've been giving away for years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I guess with the the coffin box that I get from Room Org, it's been, I went on their website originally just to buy an issue of the magazine. And then I was looking at the, the coffin box, and I was like, oh, it's like $10 more or something like that. And so far, I've been generally pleased. Like, there's there's only been a few things that I've been like, yeah, I don't really want this. But for the most part, it's been good. But getting movies and stuff, that's different yeah. than, like, you know, like, with these, lo- these loot crates, I get, like, these figures. Like, I got something from, like, Adventure Time. I'm not I'm not saying Adventure Time's bad. I'm just like, it's just not me, you know? And it's like, and some of the T-shirts, I'm like, that's something I would never wear. So there's, so there's some oddball stuff there because it's so varied. But at least with horror, I feel like it's a little bit closer... Yeah, like last month, uh, my coffin box had a Jaws shirt in it, which was nice. Um, and then I think the month before that was a Michael Myers shirt. So they've they've done pretty well so far. But cool. you know, yeah. All right, so uh, that's going to do it for uh, for that game. And we'll never speak of it again. Maybe not. I don't know. Uh, like, uh, I, I'm going to. If you su- want more games, subscribe to Paul's monthly ba- game box. <laughs> my game, yeah, it's a, the Invasion of the Podcast subscription box, which is uh, it's a 30 minutes of Steve and I talking about our weekend. Can we put it on Kickstarter? Should we make more <laughs> for, than the hatchet 70, box? Yeah, we'll uh, we'll just kickstart for seventy four thousand dollars. You know, that's fine. 
All right. So yeah, that's going to do it for for us this week. Uh, next week, I we didn't even talk about what we're doing next week. So nope. we'll, we'll get there. We'll even get there. we don't know. What yeah, we're we don't doing, know. So which is not that different than more normal. <laughs> yeah. All right. So anyway, uh, thank you, Al Gore. Thank you, Kevin, for coming on the show and and enlightening us with a lot of information and having fun with our subscription boxes and our raw chicken tenders. So thank you. Yep. Thanks for having <laughs> us on. It's always a blast coming on here. Uh, nice change of pace from doing Strange Highways. Absolutely. Talk about, uh, just talk about some ridiculous films. <laughs> yeah. yeah, always always a blast talking to you guys. Uh, I'm sure I'll be re-listening to this episode tomorrow while I'm at work and thinking, why didn't I say that? Man, <laughs> these two guys are smart. They should have a podcast. Yeah, uh, yeah. so. All right. Anyway, that's going to do it for us this week. Have a safe week, everybody. We'll talk to you later. Bye.